Lord, let your spirit this morning create within us a new revived, restored, renewed spirit that we may face the challenges of this day and living for you. Lord, we know that without your help, we're nothing. We know that without your strength, we're weak and we're undone. We need your help today, so touch us, God, that we may leave this place encouraged and strengthened in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Everybody said amen. amen. The book of Genesis is a wonderful book. You could spend many, many messages preaching just about Genesis. Genesis is a book of contrast. It's a book of hope. It's a book of disaster. It's a book of light. It's a book of darkness. It just has so many contrasts. It's divided into two divisions. The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis is about God's dealings with people. Adam and Eve, of course, Cain and Abel. And then we get to the Noahic covenant and the flood and all the things that happened there. And then we finally get to chapter 12 when God changes completely and starts the second section of the book with the call of Abraham. How many of you know who Abraham is? Father Abraham. The Bible calls him the father of all the faithful. The Bible calls Abraham the man who believed God and it was found as unto him for righteousness because he believed God. He believed God so much that he left Ur of the Chaldees, which is in northern Syria, and he went to follow God. The 12th chapter says that God said to him, Get up and go to a land that I will show thee. I will make thy name great. I will bless thee. And I will bless all the earth because of you. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. And so Abraham then starts the narrative, uh, that story, uh, in the 12th chapter. And uh, we know how that God called him. That calling was not based upon human intelligence because it didn't make a lot of sense. It sure didn't make a lot of sense to his wife. Have you ever done anything because God said it, but it didn't make a lot of sense? Have you ever done anything that you did it and got ridiculed and got talked about because people thought you were crazy? but you did it anyway because you felt like God wanted you to do it? Well, what's quiet in this house? Some of you have never experienced that. You need to do that sometime. That's what faith is. Faith is believing God for something you cannot do. And sometimes doing things in faith kind of is crazy to other people. Yeah, it is. In fact, people sometimes act strange when they're doing what God told them to do. And uh, it sometimes cuts against the grain of what we think reason and logic is. Can you imagine Sarah, his wife, and her husband comes home one day and says, Honey, pack up. We're moving. And she says, Where? And he says, I don't know. And she said, Well, how are we going to live? I don't know. Well, how long are we going to stay? I don't know. Well, are we ever coming back here? This is home. Why, why would we go somewhere? How long are we going to stay? Are we ever coming back? I don't know. Boy, when I don't know becomes the answer to every question, then you kind of scratch your head and wonder if sanity is involved here in any way. But his only response to all of that was, God told me to. God told me to. You know, sometimes you do things that really upset people when you do what God told me to do. Yeah, and I know some people do some crazy things that really wasn't God telling them that. I understand that too. You know, over in Israel, when uh, in the Six Days War in 67, when uh, uh, the Israeli general, what was his name? Moshe Dayan, the one that wore the patch. Remember him? When they took Muslim East Jerusalem and when they took the Temple Mount area, then they gained control of that. Militarily, they conquered that place, Randy, and all of a sudden it became Israeli territory once more for hundreds of years. 
millennia. And suddenly they've got command of the Temple Mount, the place they cherish and love so very much. But in a move that startled the world, Moshe Diane, the general, gave it back to the Palestinians. And when asked by news people, why did you do that? He said, God told me to. God told me to. Well, you know, in the 13th century when the uh, Turks all owned that piece of property there and, and they held knives to the uh, throat of the uh, rabbis and made them command them, tell them where the temple sat, where the actual temple, Solomon's temple, where it sat. And with knives at their throat, the rabbis told him the wrong place. They told him it was a place about 150 meters south of where the original site was. And the Dome of the Rock, the Muslim mosque, is built there today on the site that the rabbis told them it was, which is not the place. For if they had built it at that time, they would have built it in the wrong place. Because if the Israelis had, who had control over it, if they had built their temple at that time, they would have built it in the wrong place. Sometimes God knows the future, and he knows you're not in the right place. And uh, he, he kind of forbids you to do some things because that's not the right place and it's not the right time. You see, our space and our time is not his. He says, my ways, my space, my time is so far above your space and time as far as the heaven is above the earth. And he said, you can never comprehend God. You can never figure him out. You can never forecast those things about God because his timing and his ways are so far above our ways. In fact, the, Abram, the Bible said, he left the land. As soon as he got to Canaan, the Bible said in the next verse, and there was a great famine in the land. Have you ever worked so hard to get to where God wanted you to be and you finally got there and then everything just fell apart? And that's what happened to him. Crops failed. Now then, Sarah could say, Mama was right about you. And the Bible said that he took his family, all of his relatives, and moved to Egypt because he heard that there was food there and they were starving where they were. That means to us that the man of faith had faltering faith at times. And that ought to encourage some of you that stumble along with your faith sometimes uh, to know that Abraham stumbled with his faith and he faltered at times too. Because when he got down to Egypt, he told the biggest lie and what you'll find out about lies are lies have to be supported by other lies. And when you prop up a lie by building a lie, then don't be surprised when that house of lies comes tumbling down. Abraham said to the king, said, so that king won't kill me and take Sarai, because the Bible said she was a beautiful young woman. And Abraham was an old geezer by this time. And he said, that Pharaoh will take my wife away from me and he'll kill me. So I'm going to tell them that she's my sister. And some of you who are smarter than some other ones of you who read the book and know she was his half-sister. So, Pastor, it really wasn't a lie. It was just a half a lie. Not a 100% lie. It was just a 50% lie. Come on, somebody. Well, anytime your intent is to deceive, it's always a lie. And lies, boy, they result in bad things. 
And here's what happened. The king did exactly what Abram thought. But he thought it wasn't taking his wife, so there's no need to kill him. So he thought he's taking his sister. So here this Pharaoh is, and he's on his bed, and he's got life made, and he's got all these wives anyway, and he's got this real beautiful addition to his harem. And so he lays down to sleep one night, and suddenly God spoke to him. What did God say to that Pharaoh, Pastor? God said, I'm going to kill you. Talk about a nightmare. Talk about bad news. I'm going to kill you. Oh, God, he awoke. He said, God, what have I done? What have I done? And God said, you're messing with my promise. You're about to foul up everything. And before I'll let you mess with my promise, I'll just wipe you out. And this king had sense enough, Abimelech, had sense enough to say, Oh, God, I didn't know. I was ignorant. I was stupid. I didn't know who she was. I got lied to. I got deceived. Please, God, if you just won't kill me, I'll run her off. And God said, because of the integrity of your heart, I'm going to let you live, but she's got to go. You can't mess with my promise. Whew. You mean God's committed to the promises that he gives us? A lot more than we are. So next morning, brother, Abimelech had a little discussion with Abraham. And he said, you get yourself out of my country and don't you bring your lying self ever back to Egypt. You like to got me killed, you lying skunk. Now get out of here and don't ever come back and take that sister of yours with you. Wow. And the Bible said, you know, every time somebody goes to Egypt, they go down into Egypt. And every time they leave Egypt, the 13th chapter begins like this, and Abraham came up out of Egypt. In other words, when you leave Egypt, you come up. When you go down there, you go down. Because Egypt represents sin and rebellion and lack of faith and unbelief. Yeah. So we've got this Abraham, and then we go on through the pages, and we get on over to, we find an Old Testament type. And the Bible said that his name was Joseph, and he was a diamond in the rough. He was a 17-year-old kid, a daddy's boy, a favorite, and the story goes with his, his daddy giving him a coat of many colors. Now, Israeli people have a way that is unique to themselves of painting the material and putting it together in such a, a way that is unlike any other of the cultures. Did you know recently they have found a house in Egypt the archaeologist, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it, but it substantiates this whole biblical narrative here from the 50th chapter of the book of, of Genesis, which is about Joseph. It's about Joseph being an Old Testament type of Jesus. Nowhere else in Scripture is there a better picture of the Savior than there is in the person of Joseph. And when Joseph provides for his people life when they looked like they were going to starve to death and that God did all of this maneuvering through the Ishmaelites buying Joseph and selling him into slavery 
Potiphar's wife and running out of his coat and being in prison and God favoring him and elevating him among all the other prisoners and interpreting the dream of the cook and the butler and the restoration and all of those things. It is what Joseph said in the end, it's what God meant for good. My brothers, they tried to kill me, thought they were going to kill me, then they sold me. And there came a time when his brothers were fearful. They thought he would kill them because of what he had done to them. What a picture of Jesus. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to be a sustainer and a provider and a savior for you. Isn't that wonderful? That when someone thought you was going to kill them but for their dastardly deeds, they gave grace instead of revenge. Praise God. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. And when Joseph came to power, when Pharaoh realized that here is a, a leader that can plan a leader that knows uh, how to prepare for bad times and seven years, lean years, and then seven fat years and, and all of these things. And, and politically, it elevated him to the second place just under the Pharaoh. Now, that story, for a lot of years, it came under attack and they, uh, different uh, historians would take materials from different sources and try to uh, discredit the story of Joseph. But recently, that has been more archaeological digs have provided more information about Joseph. In fact, CNN, that I don't usually applaud, they did a, an article about finding a, a house in, in Egypt that was unlike any other house in the area. They had dug into what was a very palatial house that must have been owned by a very prominent person in Egypt. Wasn't a pharaoh, they could tell, because all of the house, well, they said it like this. They said it was a northern Syria-type house. It wasn't an Egyptian building. It was the way they would build them in Ur of the Chaldeans. Or it was a house that an Israeli person would have built. Right smack dab in the area of Egypt that is called Goshen. And Goshen is where the Jewish people lived there in Egypt. And the Bible said there may be darkness all over Egypt, but there's always light in Goshen. Whew! Now, it's a big temptation for me to stop that sermon on the other side and start preaching about there's always light in Goshen. Brother, I want to tell you, it may be dark everywhere else, but there's always light where God's people live and where God's people... Oh, and it was in Goshen that they found this house that looked like it didn't go in the surroundings. It was a strange house. It was built in an Israeli fashion. It had banquet halls and it had uh, palatial gardens and it had all kinds of servants' quarters and all kinds of things. It was a beautiful, beautiful building, but they knew this wasn't for an Egyptian because it's not built like Egyptians build houses. And they kept digging and finally they found 12 graves with 12 headstones. Hmm. 12 tribes, 12 brothers, 12, 11 brothers, 12 sons. Boy, it's painting a pretty good picture. And they found in a certain place a statue, and that statue was of a person that was not an Egyptian. They could tell by the facial expression on the face and the elongated nose and all of those features that Israeli people bear that that was an Israeli, not an Egyptian. Why would there be a statue to an, Is 
really person in Egypt. They built a statue to Joseph. So now archaeology, Michelle, is proving that the Bible was right about this thing and told the story right after all and that the Holy Spirit got it right. I love it when the Holy Spirit gets it right, don't you? I love it when all the naysayers and all the agnostics and all the critics and the skeptics have to bow their head and say, well, the Holy Ghost got it right. Love it when that happens. Love it when that happens. And we're going to break in on the story in Genesis 50, verse 24. Joseph enjoyed such a great life once he provided for all of the Egyptians and all of the, they were so blessed because God's people were there. This is before the slavery. This is before the building of the pyramids, before all of that stuff. They were living together in harmony and Egypt was blessed and ate good food and had good, good life as long as the people of God were there. Did you know this world is blessed because the people of God are here? Did you know that this country is a better country because there are people of God that live in this country? Did you know that Anniston, Alabama is blessed because there are Christian people and there are churches like this one that are in this area and they're blessed because God's people are here? There's always light in Goshen. Hallelujah! This state, this nation is blessed. This world is blessed because there are believers in this world. And God has covenanted, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And the Bible tells the Lord hath made great and exceeding promises to them that are his. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, who are the called according to his promise? According to his promise. So everything's good, all is well. Now we pick up the narrative. Verse 24, chapter 50. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. Uh, he had come to a time in his life, it tells us in a later verse, he was 110. Can you imagine that? I tried to look up the oldest person living now. It's something like 112. That's just two more than Joseph. Wow. 110 years old. And Joseph said, I'm dying. And God is not finished. God will surely visit you. And God will bring you out of this land. God will keep his promise he will take you unto the land which he sware unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. In other words, he was saying, take hope. God will do what he said he would do. Don't be discouraged. Don't be weary in well-doing. Believe God. Trust God because he will do what he said he would do. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel. In other words, they made a, an agreement saying, God will surely visit you and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. In other words, he said, I must go the way of all the earth, as David put it. He said, I, I have reached the end of my journey that we call life and I'm about to transition. I'm about to transition. Out of this existence into another existence. Out of this world into another world. My dad used to preach a sermon called The Mystic Step. And he would say, I can hear him now, life is good and God is great. And death is but a step. But a step. David was heard to say, there is but a step between me and God. That one mystic step, my dad used to call it, is the one we call transition. When we change. Can somebody say change? When we change. 
praise God, when my change comes, the prophet said. The Bible said, when my change comes, I shall be like him, for I shall see him as he is. When my change comes, when I leave this earthly tabernacle, for if this earthly tabernacle be dissolved, I have another building, eternal in the heavens, not made with hands. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, who shall change our vile bodies and shall fashion us like unto his own glorious body. Joseph said, when my change comes, you take those old bones of that house that I used to live in and put them somewhere. Put them somewhere. In fact, the tradition in Egypt is mummified. It's possible that it was mummified. I don't know. He said, and Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will visit you. When God visits you, you shall carry up my bones from hence. When you leave out of here, be sure that you come get my coffin. Make sure that you get my bones. And take them back with you. And over there at that place at Shechem, where my great-grandfather Abraham bought a piece of ground from Malpeor many, many years ago and put the family cemetery over there at Shechem. said, when you take me back home, boys, put me where I need to be. Put me where I'm going. This is a strange land. Don't bury me here. But when you go home, be sure and take me with you because I want to be where I'm supposed to be. Glory to God. I just feel kind of Pentecostal right now. I'm sorry. But when I think about God's promise to us and God's pledge and God's commitment to us, what a blessing that is to know that one day our change will come. Our change will come. Verse 26 said, So Joseph died being a hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Didn't say they buried him. They just put him in a coffin. I imagine they put that coffin somewhere where they could see it because that coffin preached for about 400 years. What did that coffin preach? I contain the bones of one that you made a promise that when you went home, you'd take him back with you. And when that day comes, it's coming. It's sure to come. And when it comes, don't forget to take me with you when you go. In fact, we've read the story and about the 40 years they wandered in the wilderness they had to carry that coffin around with them brother Don when they walked through the Red Sea somebody had to carry that coffin <laughs> when they marched around Jericho somebody had to have that coffin When, when the rock was smitten, somebody had to be holding that coffin. Glory to God. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you everywhere God's people went on their way home, that coffin went with them. And it preached every step of the way. It says, to Canaan's land, I'm on my way where the soul never dies where I will spend eternity, where the soul never dies. Brother, I believe that coffin sang. I believe that coffin preached. I believe that coffin influenced people to take hope when they were going through hard times, when they were going through difficulty, when they were going through hardship, where they were going through all kinds of opposition, still that coffin said, keep going, don't stop. We're on our way to where God wants us to go. We've got a promise. We've got an initiative, and we'll not turn around. We'll not quit. We'll not. 
My Lord, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? That coffin began preaching, and it didn't stop preaching until it got back to Shechem. That coffin was a great preacher. What, what did that coffin preach? What are the things it preached, Pastor? One of the things it preached is that there is a transition for every one of us. I'm looking for Jesus today, tomorrow, the next day. I'm looking for him. Brother Kenneth, I'm looking for Jesus to come today. If he doesn't come today, I'll look for him tonight. Sam, if he doesn't come tonight, I'll be looking for him in the morning. If he don't come in the morning, I'll be looking for Michelle tomorrow afternoon. Tomorrow night when I go to bed, I'll pray, Lord, if you come tonight, don't leave my bones here. Make sure, God, you get me. When going home time comes, I want to make sure you get me. I want to make sure that you get me. It lets us know that there is this thing, this transition that we call death, that should the Lord tarry, I'm going to transition that way. That may be the way I transition. I don't know. Brother Sewell used to tell me all the time, he'd say, Brother Jerry, I'm going to go into rapture. He fully believed every day of his life that he was going to go in the rapture. He told me that many, many times, Brother Ford, I'm going to go in the rapture. We were flying over the Atlantic Ocean on one of our trips, and Brother Sewell was sitting, and Howard Watkins, some of you may remember Howard, he was on that trip, and Howard's a whole lot like me. He's got nervous energy, and he won't stay in one place very long. He'd walk all over the plane, and he'd go up there to the front, and he'd come to the back, and he'd talk to everybody along the way. And, and somebody hollered at him and said, uh, Brother Howard, you better get up there in your seat and sit in your seat. said, if this plane went down, they wouldn't know who sat in that seat. Brother Sewell said, I'll tell them. He believed he was going in the rapture. He believed when the trumpet was going to sound, he was going to rise to meet him. He was among that we who were alive and remain crowd was who he was with. But as it turned out, he didn't go that way. He transitioned through death. But immediately when he drew his last breath, immediately when that heart pushed its last bit of blood, he immediately left that house stepped into the arms of the angels and went to home to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Transition out of this existence into another. That step that you take into that next realm. Praise God. It lets us know that for every one of us, Debbie has just about forbid me to sing Long and Winding Road. She won't let me sing it no more. She said, Lord, I get the creeps when you sing that. You think you're going to die? I said, no, I don't think I'm going to die, but it's just a song. Well, don't sing it anymore. I don't want to hear it. You kind of have to know Debbie to appreciate that. She's watching. Hello, honey. Truth is, what the scripture says, as in Adam all die. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto man once to die. We know that's, that's something you got to deal with. Some of us do it well, some of us don't do it so well. Yeah, I know. But if you've got Jesus, oh death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory.
victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I used to wonder about those scriptures of the Apostle Paul who would talk about his transition. And, you know, Doc, he would say, well, hey, I'm anticipating that time as being a great time for me. I'm really looking forward to that time when I get that summons. I, I, he said this, I press toward the mark and the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Well, if you'll break down that Greek there, you'll say high, the original Greek means upward. Date, mark means date. I press toward the mark. The original Greek says date, date. Calling, the original Greek says invitation. Listen to it. I am pressing toward the day when I will receive an invitation to come upward. I'm pressing toward the day when I can transition. I'm pressing to, in fact, he even went so far, Carlos, as to say, I would much rather depart. For me to depart, he said, would be gain for myself. Brother, you think that I'm not looking forward to it, he said. I'm looking so much forward to it that it could happen right now and it would please me fine. I would much rather, he said, depart. You know, I, I've been at the transition time for a lot of people, hundreds of them over a lifetime, 34 years be 35 in August. Wow. Y'all have made me an old man. Wow. What about that? I've stood with people that were passing, and I've had them say to me, Brother Jerry, do you see them? I'm sorry, I don't see anybody. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't you see them? I said, no, I don't see them. What, what are you talking about? He said, they've come for me. They've come for me. And I said, well, I don't see them, but I'm sure you do. And what a blessing that is. They've come for me. My brother was sitting at the kitchen bar and got up and started back toward the bedroom. And Diane said to him, Donnie, where are you going? He said, I'm going back here. They've come for me. And he went back there to the bedroom and died and went to be with the Lord. One of my preacher friends a few years back was preaching one Sunday morning and stepped off the rostrum and just went to be with the Lord right there in a Sunday morning service. When they told me that, Linda, I said, what a way to go. What a way to go. Anointing of God on you. And doing what God called you to do in the presence of the best folks in the world? How in the world could you not like that? Somebody told me the story. You remember this. You may have told me this, Don, about a pastor that the folks were singing, when the home gates swing open for me. And he walked to the pulpit and he said, what a wonderful day this would be for the home gates to swing open for me. And he Dropped right there and went to be with the Lord. Oh, my Lord, don't tell us those horrible things. Oh, that's not horrible. What a way to go. What a way to go. What a way to go. Rejoicing in the Lord. When Elisha was, the Bible said, with the sickness whereof he died. <laughs> the king was it Jehu that went over to where he was and he said, I need an answer whether I should go to war or not. You've been the man of God. You've told me what to do all these years. And I perceive that you're about to pass on me. And before you go, you got to tell me, do I go out there and fight these guys? 
or is the Lord going to take care of it? I need an answer from you. And Elisha said, take those, was it arrows? And he said, and throw them down. And he, he threw one down. He said, well, the Lord's going to give you victory, but it ain't going to be a big one. Said if you'd throwed the whole bunch on the ground, God would have delivered every one of them into your hand, give you a great victory. But because you worshiped little and you offered little, woo, my Lord, you preaching this morning, Pastor, my Lord. And the Bible said about that time, Maurice, the Bible said they looked out the window and Judah, they said, behold, the chariot of the Lord and the horsemen thereof. What? What are they doing here? Come to get me. Come to get me. Wow. The horsemen of the Lord, the chariot of the Lord, come to carry that prophet of God home. Looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Band of angels coming after me. I believe God dispatches angels. Why you believe that, Brother Jerry? Because the Bible said it. Luke 16, 21 through 26 talks about a rich man. And the Bible said he fared sumptuously, but there was a Lazarus that lay at his gate and begged for the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And the Bible said, and Lazarus died and was buried, and the angels came and got his soul and carried it to Abraham's bosom. Lolita, do you believe God sends angels to get people's soul and carries it to Abraham's bosom? Well, what happened to Abraham's bosom? They had an evacuation. I said, Abraham's bosom had an evacuation. Oh, it was Friday when the devil thought he'd kill Jesus. And he thought that death and hell would hold him. But the Bible said on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, about the dawning of the day, an angel met two women on their way to anoint the body of Jesus. And the angel said, he's not here. He has risen. He is not in the grave. He's no longer in the tomb. He's ascended up on high. He has been raised up. And the Bible says that he became the first fruits of them that slept. Brother, can I tell you that Jesus has already made the way for us? That Jesus has already conquered death, hell, and the grave? That Jesus has already been our pioneer? He's already been the captain of our salvation? He's already made the way and won the victory over death forevermore. And we're the happy recipients to have his promise that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise his wonderful name. Yes, it's an appointment we've got to keep. But I won't have to cross Jordan alone. When the darkness I see, he'll be waiting for me. I won't have to cross Jordan alone because he'll hold to my hand. He'll hold to my hand. As over death's river I go, then safe I will be in beautiful heaven I know. I'm telling you that's the hope and that's the end of this message. That's the hope that we have. What that coffin says, don't lose hope. 
What that coffin preached was don't give up. What that coffin preached that they carried around through Red Seas and they carried it around through battles and they carried it around. They never lost their hope. They always believed God somehow is going to get us through it and God's going to get us there. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up your faith. Don't lose your hope. Hold on to God's unchanging hand and you'll be a winner in this thing called life. Hallelujah. Well, stand on your feet, praise God, and shout a little bit. Why don't you just shout to the Lord and let the praises of God's people be heard in the sanctuary. Why don't you just let the worship of God's people today be heard in the sanctuary of God. What a promise we have. 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 There's such a certainty in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that all of my hope is in that one statement. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. One ordinary morning, just like this Sunday morning, right down the road from us, there's going to be a great awakening. Oh, blessed be God. The Bible said, many of them that slept in the dust of the earth shall hear his voice, and they shall awake. Oh, our hearts are saddened when we have to walk out through that silent city and we have to deposit our loved ones. But oh, I'm telling you, that's not the end. No, no, no. That's not the end. And listen to what Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15. When you do that, he said, we, you sow not that body that shall be, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. Brother, that body that you put in that grave, it may be a, a body that had cancer. It may be a body that had all kinds of maladies. Did a sermon this week, did a funeral this week of a lady that so precious so wonderful, a lifelong friend. Started out chasing diabetes. Took off toes, took off foot, took off knee, and finally they couldn't take off enough, and she passed. But I want to tell you that body, thou sowest not that body that shall be. Thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. For this corruptible, this deteriorating, aging, becoming weak body, this corruptible must put on incorruption. God's got a body that's incorruptible. Glory to God. That means it'll never get old. That means it'll never have dim eyesight. That means it will never have, be hard of hearing. That means it'll never need a crutch. It'll never need a cane. That body God has. That new body, that brand new body. And you won't need a walker when you get your brand new body. In fact, you can reach and get your glasses and take them off when you get your brand new body. Because it'll be a perfect body, a glorious body an incorruptible body and this mortality this mortal this mortal this dying house i'm living in must put on immortality that means that body that god has got it will never 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 ever die Luke said, neither can they die anymore. And they shall be equal to the angels, being the children of God and the children of the resurrection. Oh, what a promise and what a hope. What a joy. What a peace that is to know that God has a, a body for us.
This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Sting of death is sin. Strength of sin is the law. Thanks be to God for victory. Therefore, why is that therefore, therefore? It means having said that, knowing what I've just said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always, always, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God, I thank you today for the hope of eternal life through Jesus. Thank you that you've conquered death, hell, and the grave. Thank you, God, that you've promised never to leave us but to go with us all the way even to the end. You said if we would be faithful unto death, you would give us a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Whom the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give all them that love his appearing and his kingdom. God, we love your appearing. If you come today, O Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd take everybody in this building with you. I pray that everybody under the sound of my voice right now is prepared to meet you. And if one is watching, O Lord, on this program or sitting in this building that does not know you. I pray in Jesus' name that they would make a decision right now and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I accept you now as Savior and Lord. I repent. I turn away from my sinful life. And right now I embrace Jesus and what he did at Calvary. Sufficient payment for my sin. Jesus, you died for me and I want to live for you. And I accept you now as Savior and Lord in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Praise God. Why don't you give God a great big hand clap of praise? Welcome some people into the kingdom of God. I believe somebody got saved. I just kind of feel like somebody made a decision. I believe somebody said, I want to be in that number. Yes, sir. You better believe it. Hallelujah.